Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. Welcome to Love Alexi. My name is Alexi Wasser. I'm your host, and this is my podcast. And Happy New Year, everybody. Oh my God, what did you guys get into on New Year's Eve? Let's talk about it in a moment. First, I want to introduce my guest today. She's a writer, director, youthful, exciting, prolific, intense storyteller, Minhal Baig. Check out her numerous short films, music videos, features, after Sophie, Hala, Pretext, her upcoming feature, Hala, her other feature, One Night. You can follow her on Twitter and Instagram at Minhal Big. That's M I N H A L B A I G. And uh, yeah, I think I first fell in love with her because I was following her on Twitter. Somehow I ended up following her on Twitter, and she is so passionate about filmmaking and the current state of things. Uh, being a woman and in the movie business and making movies and writing. Anyway, she's just fascinating. I think sometimes there was one point where she was tweeting in all in all caps. Am I totally wrong? Am I confusing her with someone else? All I know is I fell in love with, with the passion uh, in which she tweets. And uh, I sought her out and I've been meaning to have her on this podcast for a long time. And here she is today. She was the last recording uh, of 2017 and uh, I hope you enjoy it. We talk about a million different things, family, writing, making uh, independent movies nowadays, um, relationships, just a myriad of different things. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure to talk to her. Uh, now let's talk about New Year's Eve and what we all got into. My God. All right. Last year, I stayed home. I did mushrooms for the first time in the privacy of my own home by myself I left a note for uh, police in case n- nobody could find me for days because I had died or what have you. And uh, you know, luckily I survived. I had a very nice cathartic internal experience. Um, and then this year, I was invited by some friends to go over to their house and have dinner with them. And that was very cozy and intimate and lovely. And then from there, we went to a party. Now I get to this party. Uh, we got there around 10 p.m. And I have been laying low the majority of the holidays. I've been at home. Uh, I've been listening to podcasts. I've been watching movies. So to go to this party on New Year's Eve where we got there around 10 p.m., a little after 10, it was a clusterfuck. There were so many people there. And the entire party was comprised of all the most creative, uh, interesting, talented uh, people that exist. It was just all a bunch of like writers, directors, SNL alumni or current cast members, um, just everybody who's very creative and talented. Um, and it was wall to wall. You could barely move. So that was a little bit overwhelming. Now, I don't know if you guys can relate. Um, I actually had a wonderful time though, but when you go from being very, very quiet and being a loner to thrust into a a large group of people on a, you know, 
some might call it amateur night because it's like, you know, the night everybody has a lot of expectations and everybody is raging because you're, you're told by society, oh, you're supposed to have fun tonight. Um, it can be a lot. So I'm surprised. I actually, uh, I didn't spiral. I wasn't, I didn't have social anxiety. I had rosé. Um, and, uh, I had a really nice time. Everybody was lovely, but, uh, I think the entire party was probably on drugs and drunk, I imagine, uh, me included. And I danced. And at one point, I think I ended up in the ladies room or in the bathroom with like two different girlfriends at, at different points, uh, one at a time anyway. And at one point there's like this weird moment where I said to my girlfriend, I was like, I was like, oh, is this overwhelming? Is this fun? Is this party fun? Or is it like, is it overwhelming? And should I be feeling social anxiety? And she was like, well, I don't know. I came to this party with a bunch of my closest friends. Didn't you come here with your friends? And I went, well, yeah, I, I guess, you know, I, but, uh, and she goes, I, I don't know how this ended up happening. I can't remember the, the, uh, how we got to this moment in this quick exchange while in the ladies room together. But it's uh, for whatever reason, she said, well, who are your friends? And I was, and all of a sudden I blanked and I swear to God, I wasn't even blackout drunk. I, I was like, you know, I was fine, but I, I, at all, I, you know, I remember every detail of the night, but it's just so funny. She was like, well, who are your friends? And I blanked and I looked at her and I went, well, I don't know. And for a moment, I felt like completely exposed as if this girl, uh, you know, heard me reveal my deepest, darkest secret, which is I don't have any friends. So then like the day after New Year's Eve, uh, and I got home safe. I didn't, you know, I didn't have sex with anybody. I didn't end up, I didn't like end up going home with some stranger. I I didn't put myself in danger. It was like, you know, but I went to bed at like six in the morning. Uh, I wrote a list. I actually wrote a list of my friends because I was like, oh my God, Alexi, you've just given the impression to this girl, uh, you know, that you have no friends. How the hell could you have blanked? And then, because I, I was like, do I have friends? Maybe I don't. Anyway, so uh, day after New Year's Eve, uh, also known as New Year's Day, wrote a list for myself of all my friends, which is maybe even sadder than not having friends at all, having to list your friends like some kind of like uh, OCD controlled, bizarre, insecure, freaky monster. But I did that and actually made me feel better about the world. Um, yeah. So I survived. I hope you survived too. And just so you know, in case any of you had horrible nights where things got weird or you ended up in a predicament that you wish you had not ended up in, uh, or you or you internally felt um, overwhelmed or self-conscious or insecure and you just had like, I don't know, an internal spiral at one of these um, New Year's Eve parties that we all end up at in our lives, it's okay. You're not alone. Um, we've all been there, me included. I'm the most intense overthinker that exists, at least for me. I, I have uh, the ability to make myself suffer and overthink things that completely don't need overthinking. Uh, I have the bad habit of, and I have to talk myself out of this behavior, and I'm much better at it now, but I'll be like, oh my God, are all these people thinking this of me? Or worse, what if they're thinking nothing of me? What if they think, oh my God, does so-and-so hate me? Do they all hate me? Oh my God, what does that look mean? Is that person like, do I have to walk on eggshells with them at any moment? Are they just going to like decide that they can't stand me and whatever? Anyway, um, I'm highly caffeinated as I record this intro right now, in case you can't tell. Um, so all that aside, all I'm saying is 
whatever inner turmoil you experienced, uh, you're completely not alone. But hopefully, you got home safe, you had a blast, it was magical, you weren't disappointed by the evening, and who cares? It's over now. Life goes on. It's uh, whatever day you're listening to this is what day it is, and we just got to keep moving forward. These are my resolutions. My resolutions are, (laughs) we'll see if, okay, let's, I'm already regretting sharing this because I feel like uh, the minute I share them, I've jinxed myself and I'm going to break them. But you know what? How dare you? New Year's resolutions. Meditate twice a day, 15 minutes twice a day. No more drinking. No more experimentation with drugs. I did that enough in 2017. I always say, oh, I never do drugs. I don't do drugs. I don't do drugs. And yet this year, I mean, in 2017, I tried DMT, ketamine, acid, uh, MDA, aka sassafras, which is similar to MDMA, aka Molly, but different or, or whatever. Um, mushrooms. Yeah, I, I did enough. We're done here. All right. We've had enough. So, yeah, no drugs, no alcohol. Because nobody's ever said, wow, you know what? My life really went to shit when I stopped drinking. Nobody ever said that. All right. So, I'd like to believe that uh, not drinking is only going to make things better. I don't know why. I I used to drink vodka. Then I switched over to rosé and I used to really not like wine. And then all of a sudden I fell in love with rosé and a specific type of rosé too. And I would put ice cubes in it. Um, I don't know why I'm talking in the past tense because this was happening only days ago on New Year's Eve. But um, yeah, I think I just fell in love. It became like adult water, rosé. And I just thought, oh, it's very gentle on the system and I love it. And it's just like makes everything... uh, lovelier and it's pink and how can you go wrong here? But uh, I've had enough. And I actually think my body is becoming allergic to alcohol because all of a sudden even looking at alcohol and you know wine specifically, it's just automatically, I'm like, oh, it's too acidic. I don't even want to, I don't want to imbibe it. No thanks. So these are my resolutions. I have a lot of goals, a lot of things I want to accomplish. I want to be laser sharp and focused. And uh, my guest today, Min Hall, is such an inspiration because she is so laser focused and uh, and driven and gets so much accomplished. Um, so yeah, she's a big inspiration for me and maybe for you as well. If you're a young filmmaker or uh, you know just want to make movies or you're a writer, I feel like you're really going to enjoy this episode. I also want to say thank you to all my uh, Patreon subscribers. Um, for being my patrons. Thank you for supporting this podcast. If you like this podcast, the Love Alexi podcast, the best way to show your appreciation or support of the show so I can continue to do it is by subscribing to my Patreon page. And you go to patreon.com forward slash Alexi. You can make uh, whatever amount of donation you want to make. Uh, if you make a certain amount, of, uh, if you donate like $5, you get access to all these like, you know, unreleased episodes or just like audio rants of me blabbing. I'm going to be posting videos on there, recommendations, lots of different stuff. It's all self-explanatory on my Patreon page. And all that aside, I think we should also be uh, friends on social media, Twitter and Instagram at Alexi Wasser. I love DMing with strangers. Um, I I usually go very heavy on Insta stories. And um, I have a lot of incredible guests lined up for 2018. I'm so excited to bring you more episodes of more incredibly talented, creative, inspiring people. So now I'm just going to shut the fuck up so you can enjoy my conversation with writer, director, badass, Minhal Beg. Now entering Nerdist.com. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for doing this. 
Right when you walk in, but you cut out anything. Hi, hi, so nice to finally meet so you. Nice to meet you too. Wait, this is my producer, Aristotle. Hi, nice to meet you. It's a by, great name. Do you go by Min? Minhal. Minhal. Oh, is it Minhal or Minal? Minhal. Minhal. Okay, good. You're right there. Okay, for cool. sure. I just like, because when I know people on the internet, and I've never heard their name said out loud, even though I was like doing research and I listened to it on a podcast, I think somebody else mispronounced their name, and I thought, I just have to ask. I have to ask questions and get everything right, so I don't it's fuck like, everything up. Um, it's like uh, 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 Hermione's name in the Harry Potter books. Nobody knew how to pronounce it until she actually... Said it? Yeah, in, well, in the book, she like pronounced it, and in the movies, I was like, no. Oh, God. Because I was pronouncing it wrong for like the longest time. But how, like, you know, that happens. How are you doing? People say my name fucked up all the time. Or just. How do they mess up Alexi? I think of Alexa, Alexia, Alexis. They just make it their own. Oh, we're recording. This is so exciting. Oh, my God. Thank you. For, okay. I'm so glad that you got your lift and the lady found you and it's all good. Yeah. Um, how are you? I'm good. Um, God, where do we begin? I'm turning off my phone. I'm turning. I have notes on my phone, which I never normally do, but I have like all my copious notes and stuff. But I'll (laughs) I'll refer to them later. I don't like having a screen up because I'm so addicted to my phone. So if I have a screen up, it'll just mess me up. Oh, do we have any water? Do you want to go get? Okay, we're getting. Let me let's get you some water. So you have it. So it's a professional situation. But we're still recording, right? (laughs) Yes. Oh my God. How was your holiday? It's been. It's been pretty quiet. Yeah. Um, I've been sort of by myself since my boyfriend went to Japan. You have a boyfriend? I can't wait to get into <laughs> yeah. that. How exciting. Oh, God. Yeah, he's in Japan right now. And then uh, he, was in, he was in Japan and now he's in Hawaii. So I've been what? by myself mostly. Yeah, um, me too. I was invited to go to Hawaii, but I, I felt Thank like you, I Aristotle. wanted to stay here and get some work done. I started to, I started to get into this like nice space of like all this like good energy and it was quiet, peaceful. Yeah. It was nice. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite because I was born and raised here. So when everybody leaves Los Angeles, I'm, it's so nice. Oh my God. It's the greatest. It's like a tumbleweed that rolls through the city and you're like, this is incredible. Oh my God. It's this so... is what LA could be like, you know? <laughs> yeah, this is what it should be like. This is what it could be like. And it's so lovely. And I, yeah, my mom went out of town to be with her husband. He has his kids just moved to Atlanta. He's got like kind of three like young, mm-hmm. youngish kids. So I hung up my mom like a week before Christmas. So, and I'm an only child. I don't talk to my dad. That's neither here nor there, whatever. But so I was just at home alone and I loved it. I was just watching movies nonstop and went to the arc light and. Oh my know. God, I watched so many movies. Yeah. I was like, it's like the only thing open on Christmas. You're like, yeah. what are you going to do on what Christmas? What are you going to do? So yeah. I just like went to the theater by myself, watched two movies back to back. What did you great. What'd you watch? I watched uh, The Shape of Water and The Post. And The Post. What's The Post about? The Post is about it's sort of a it's kind of this it's a two-hander like between k graham and ben bradley who were like the publisher and the editor-in-chief of the washington post at the time and their decision to release the pentagon papers oh yeah oh my god what did i watch i saw molly's game (laughs) (laughs) don't laugh at me (laughs) no i want to see that too actually oh god 
and I bought the master class. I bought that thing that like they push on you on YouTube. Have you seen those ads for the yeah. master class? And I was like, I remember I seeing those and being like, what is this bullshit trying to rob me blind? And then all of a sudden I just signed up for an all access pass. And I've been watching like Aaron Sorkin talk about writing. And I was like, now I got to see Molly's game. <laughs> they actually have some really legit people on the master yeah. class stuff. It's like, no joke. I'm like, mm, Martin Square. Interesting. Martin Scorsese. Scorsese. How do you say it? Scorsese. Scorsese. I don't know. I get confused. See, this is this is the pr- the problem. Like, yeah. I'm like I've only read their names. Yeah, it's fucking confusing. Um, but tell me everything about you because this is the whole thing is like a love letter to you. Because here's where just to set the stage, I fell in love with you on Twitter uh, <laughs> because you are so alive on Twitter. It's fucking. It's like it's the greatest thing ever because you you're you are on Twitter like I am on my Insta stories where I'm constantly Insta storing. And uh, I have a lot to say. I'm very intense. And I just like Insta story a ton. And then I get that same energy from your Twitter, which I like is my favorite because it's like so youthful and like excited and just raw and, you know what I mean? And passionate about movies. And well, thank you. Don't you think that you get that response from your Twitter all the time? Yeah, it's actually it's actually really interesting because when I first joined Twitter on in like 2013, I just didn't know how to use it. You I was did. Just, I was just following the my like the way that I approached it was I was going to join Twitter and I was going to follow all the writers and directors, producers and people that I whose work I was excited by and admired. And then I just would I didn't post very much at that time and I would just read, you know, and they were giving like free advice all yeah. the time like these like TV who? writers. Who? I mean, there's so many like Brian Koppelman is oh, great. I <laughs> love him. Now, yeah. Now and, we all follow each other, I yeah, think. And yes. I love his podcast. He has a great podcast. Oh, God. Yeah. And there's uh, Jennifer Hutchinson. Um, she was a writer on Breaking Bad. And, and now she does uh, Better Call Saul. And she just has so much great, you know, advice and thoughts for writers who want to be in television or just in store, like just story in general. And I've... I've like learned so much from just reading their tweets. Really, it's like free stuff. Yeah, it's way better than, you know, save the yeah, Yeah. save the cat, save the cat. Like because I feel like sometimes there's the theory of writing the of like here's like how you can approach screenwriting from a very theoretical perspective, like using, you know, like Blake Snyder's method or Robert McKee's method, and it feels a little divorced sometimes from how actual writers write. And what's useful about Twitter is like learning that people have all these different processes. I mean, they're all like really good writers understand structure, but I feel like what I'm learning from, you know, what I learned so much from other people was like, it's so much about perspective. Like that's the most interesting, exciting thing. It's like that. Cause, and I feel the same way about directing now too. I think directing far more than being anything technical is very much about your perspective and the way you see the world and how you tell a story Um, as opposed to someone else who probably has the same technical skills as you can like communicate with others collaborate with others but it's about your view of the world and like putting that imprint on a story yeah oh my god yeah (laughs) what are some of the things that they that they taught you that you learn, like things that you remember to this day. Um, Brian, I know Brian uh, personally because I went to this lab um, in 2013. It was the Blacklist Writers Lab, and he said something. 
Well, first of all, he, I, I wrote a script and he read it and he <laughs> tore it apart. He did. What yeah. script was this? And this was at the the, at the blacklist writers' lab. But and and by tore it apart, I mean he was just he he was very blunt and honest about it, and he said, you know, like. Wow. Like, but Tell he me. like treated it like, yeah, and this, and it was like the best to like have this, just an outside perspective from someone who's a working professional, just saying like, you know, this is the real talk of the script. And then at first, you know, I was like really hurt by it, but then I just kind of came away with it like I'm so grateful that there are people who can just be that honest and be that critical and all they're they're invested, you know, they want you to be better. Yeah. And God, I gotta get my, get my script to him. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. <laughs> he's, he's really great. And I and I um yeah, so that was one is like I feel like I've learned to surround myself with people who are critical and um, you know, don't shy away from telling you how they honestly feel about something. Even if they like you as a person and they like your work generally. Like I think, you know, even if it's just I've shown cuts of movies to people, and it's terrifying. Yeah, <laughs> so terrifying. But it's better when it's some, you know, when it's with people who have, you know, an investment in you and as a creator, and they want to give you as much as possible, like in their notes and their constructive criticism, to make it, you know, make it more of what you want it to be. So I think I took away a lot of that from Twitter, where people were. There was a lot of, I think when you're younger, like, you think you're, like, great and you have, you're, like, invincible. That's how I felt, at least, when I first was writing. I just, like, was very fearless in a way. But then there was, like, the counterweight to it was, you know, folks telling me, this is not good. (laughs) You need to, like, you need to revise and you have to put it through the paces. And I didn't really know, I didn't really understand that you know, so much until I started working on Hala, like, how important revision would be. And then, like, I feel like what's interesting about that particular project is that it's sort of started on Twitter, which is fascinating. How it did? Yeah. Um, it, w- it We had a crowdfunding campaign on Twitter uh, in 2015 for the short. And it was after, like, several years of, like, building an audience of people, like, just following people, engaging with other people. And I was like, okay, I just want to make my own thing now. And we put up a teaser, we put up a Kickstarter, and then, it, you know, in three days we were funded. Wait, what do you mean you put up a teaser? We, had- we had filmed this teaser for, like, that I, fu- I funded myself for, like, 200 bucks, and we just shot something quick in downtown um, LA and we put it up on Kickstarter and we got like $30,000. Oh my it was, God. It was in a few days and it was insane. Like all these people contributed, like people who I admire and respect and it was pretty insane. Holy shit. Who shot it for you? Where'd you find your DP? I actually just got teaser. my, I got my whole crew from AFI. Oh, like, wow. Oh, you went to AFI. I did no, not. You went actually, to Yale. No, yeah, right? I, yeah, I went to Yale, but and I graduated in 2012, but I when I moved to LA, I didn't really know anyone. And someone on Twitter, actually, who I'm forgetting who it was, suggested I should go uh, find crew at AFI. And I was like, well, I don't go there. He's like, just go anyway. So I went and t- went to a class they have called Global Cinema, and it's on Mondays at 730. What? <laughs> at you AFI. just walked in? Yeah, I just went there. Jesus. And, um, and, um, it was a great class, and there's some great movies. Um, the professor was great. 
And did you just sneak in though? And I was just all the way in pay? the back. No, oh. I was just in the back. I love and I, it. And I didn't say anything, of course, the whole time. And I was um, uh, where I met. I met, you know, the cinematographer, the editor, and the producers all through there. And then they kind of treated the short as like another thesis project because they graduated in May, and then we shot Hollow like later that year. The the feature, the short, the short. The short. This okay. was in 2015. Okay. And then we sh- we shot the short then, and it was all like recent AFI grants. Oh my god! Yeah. Was there anything? Uh, irritating about that that they were no, all, were they all new yeah because it looked beautiful i just watched it yeah it was amazing it was really it was kind of um so it was surprising in some ways because i i had worked i'd made work before but this was unique because i felt like there was a process and a method to making movies that i just didn't know because i never went to film school i studied painting you did yeah at yale yeah. you studied painting and do you still paint no, but I really want to go back into it someday. Oh my goodness. Well, yeah. you'll find the time. But yeah. When I retire. Yeah. I retire. You're painting, you know, with cinema. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Film. Okay, keep going. Yeah, yeah, so there's so I didn't I didn't really understand there was like a process and I and at Yale they don't really teach you production. You know, they they're teaching you like bigger ideas of like storytelling, but like AFI is a very technically intense program for the cinematographers and editors and everyone just learns the ins and outs of filmmaking from start to finish and that's not not something that I had a background in so going through that process with the short was amazing because I got to learn from all the people you worked with yeah I got to learn it the way they were taught and that was awesome oh my god when how daunting was that like when when you're like did you just ask a lot of questions or, or did you stumble or wobble and then they would be like well let me explain this or I mean, how did you assert yourself? No, I just acted like I knew everything. That's great to know. That's Um, great. (laughs) No, I mean, I would occasionally ask questions and I would read a lot. So I read, I read so much. I like got the fruit, I got NYU's like um, syllabus, the film school syllabus. And I started to read some of the books off of that. And it really helped. There was this book by Judith Weston um, about act, about working with actors. That's fantastic. I'm not. I don't remember the name of it, but she's written several books on working with actors, and that was an excellent, yeah, excellent source. And then I read, you know, Walter Murch's book in the blink of an eye, and that was f- just so helpful for learning the editing process and how to work with an editor. Um, and then for writing, I really liked Anatomy of a Story by John Truby, and that's really helpful for. You know, I kind of I kind of go back to these things as like references, but now I feel like I've established a process that works for me that I only have to use them as references. Like, they're not like, here's, you know, an outline and now I have to plug in my story or this is how, you know, so-and-so director works with actors, so I have to work like that. Yeah. But working with those, you know, really young people who are, like, just super gung-ho about filmmaking, like, taught me so much about... Jesus Christ. Yeah, it was great. That's exciting. (laughs) Do your parents understand you at all? No. Not at all? (laughs) Well, I mean... He's um, like the, the crazy artist who is in L.A. And did you go back and forth between Chicago and L.A.? I've been going back and forth a lot. And yeah. they live in Chicago? My mom does. My de- my father passed away. I'm so um, sorry. 2013. Oh. And um, it's just my family dynamic changed. But what's like sort of in his later years in his life, my dad came around to like just being an artist. Like he always thought it was very strange. And when I went to Yale, he would tell people I went there, but he would. 
and when people would ask like what is she studying he would be like she's still deciding but he would do he did that for like four years you're, you're like she graduated <laughs> she gra- actually <laughs> yeah. she's still deciding um so it's just sort of for him hard to accept because i think it's always it's always hard from you know where he was in in his life and how he came to the u.s so that's a whole other story but i think he just wanted the best for me and but as he was getting older, he just kind of came around to it. And after he passed away, it was my mom who doesn't understand it at all. And it's partly because of language barrier. And part of it is just she doesn't watch American movies. Oh. Um, what kind of movies does she watch? She watches, I mean, like at her best, you know, in the best time when she was like really interested in watching stuff, it was a lot of like Pakistani uh, dramas and Pakistani like TV shows like that's what she would watch yeah um, because that's what she could understand yeah. I mean we would take her to some movies occasionally English language movies who's but we you and your dad it or? was my siblings and you know I like we would like come on like let's go and it's just like uh, she's obviously not as having as much of a good time as us um, but yeah so that's part of like she doesn't get it but also like the whole thing about like how are you still a struggling artist? You're so old now. How like, old are you? I'm. You don't have to even say if you don't no, want to. No, I just turned 28 and I September. think you're going to be fine. You're great. You're so young. <laughs> but for my mom, it's like, oh, my God, what are you doing with your life? Um, but I don't think she means it in a mean way. Like, I think culturally, it's just, it's really kind of a different path that she doesn't have any exposure to. Does she want you to be married and have kids? Yeah. And Oh, wow. Yeah. And Holly was, uh, that you know, based on your... Like your mom, or just kind of being misunderstood by your mom, or not being able to relate or share yeah. with her. Yeah, yeah. Part of it, like it definitely came from this place of, you know, we. It was hard growing up in Chicago, and where my parents were a bit conservative, and we were going to public schools. We were getting exposed to all the same things everyone does. And there's like this line that you have to constantly ride, where you like want to be a good. Muslim daughter and and then there's this other part that's like you want to experience life and do the things your friends are doing and I'm a sexually cute skateboarder (laughs) or maybe not you but okay (laughs) but like there's that line you're writing and it gets really hard so you just kind of have this dual identity like you you're like one person at home and you're one person at school oh god and it's like and one thing that was very common um in my household, at least, is that my siblings and I were constantly lying to our parents all the time about what we were doing, who we were, like, with, and, you know, that sort of thing. Because it was just, it was just, like, the way to communicate. And, like, I thought it was, it was humorous when I would watch TV shows like Malcolm in the Middle or whatever, and they people were honest. I was like, really? Oh, God, yeah. As kids honest with their parents? I don't understand. But I think other lots of, like... 80s movies too, yeah. where, where kids are like sneaking out of their house, yeah. being like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna go sleep over at Wendy's house," but really like they're making out in the bushes yeah, or something. Exactly. So you know, yeah. I guess you had to go back to the 80s, but uh, 80s movies. But did you at least were you and your siblings honest with one another? Were we you- knew we had dirt on we had dirt on each other, yeah. so we kept each other like honest in a way. Yeah, like no one could step too far out of it, you know, out of bounds because we all like. We just had so much dirt. We, like, knew about each other's relationships, and it was just, it's hard to keep secret. But now she, now your mom is kind of understanding you? You said, or is she still wondering, like, no. how are you a struggling artist? <laughs> no, yeah. she's still, I have, I feel like if I, I was making a lot of money, if I was, like, 
it was raining money, then she probably wouldn't care. What is her understanding of what your life is? Does I, she ever come and visit and like look at you and watch you on set directing or no. do you talk to her about your writing? Really? No, she's she actually has never read anything I've written. Has she watched your your films, your short no. films? No. And you finished your feature, right? Yeah, I just finished. I mean, I'm I'm in post now. I finished shooting it. And she she has not come and visit. She has no idea I shot it. What? I know. Wait, she's Crazy. not read anything or seen anything you've made? Yeah. Because she just is like, I don't. Do you no, offer because, it up to her? No, I haven't offered it up to her because what? one. Well, well we got of, her on the line right now. <laughs> actually, that's why I invited you. <laughs> yeah, actually, we're calling her yeah. right now. Um, it's become more and more terrifying because, like, as the projects get bigger, I'm expecting her to find out. But she doesn't use the internet. And wow. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of boyfriend I'm looking for. Exactly. <laughs> what a dream boat. <laughs> you just start dating your mom. Fantastic. Exactly. Just isolate. That's what I wanted. Isolate partner who only knows about me and hangs out with me um okay keep going though but she doesn't um but what's crazy too is we shot the feature in chicago oh my god and at my old high school which is like five minutes away from my parents oh my house. god it's so it's gotten like to ridiculous proportions <laughs> that they don't know like to the point where crew members were like you really should talk to your <laughs> mom and I was like, okay, guys, I'm I'm good, thank you. And they're not still the same AFI students you no, work with, right? No, this is a whole whole new you've group. A, you've abandoned those kids. You're like, listen, kids, <laughs> okay, we're getting, we're you know, we're getting large. No, it was just, it was like a really, the jump from short to feature was, it was a really was it scary. Yeah, I, I mean, scary in that. We finally, like, I was finally getting the resources to tell the story properly. Like, by resources, do you mean money? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where did the money come from? So or? the money came from the financier's endeavor. Um, WME found the financier and the financing. Um, and that was early this year, like the first three months. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, it all happened really quickly. It was like March or April of this year, and then... You know, our last day of shooting was, like, November 17th, I think. So and that was four weeks. We were shooting for four weeks. Or are they five-day weeks? Four or five-day weeks? Yeah. And so, and then you just found your crew, and they were people you never worked with before? I didn't work with anyone before. <gasps> I, I know. It's kind of Where, nuts. Where'd they come from? Who found them? I did. <laughs> you did. You just scoured. Because I know I was asking you for references, and you yeah. had all these, like, names. So where did you find? You just ask. You just ask people, right? Like, well, I ask people. You watch things. I watch a lot of stuff. I watch a lot of um, independent movies, just sm- even the smallest things. So everyone kind of came from that. So I watched uh, this film called Las Aleguidas, and it was uh, directed by uh, David Pablos and those Mexican movie. And it was uh, Carolina Costa had shot it. And I watched it and I was like, this is stunning. I need to have the cinematographer for this movie. Um, And she's on that XX list, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's amazing. And this same thing happened with my editor and my production designer and costume designer. Celia is the editor. She edited The Fits. Oh, what's her last name? Davis. Okay, yeah. Yeah, she she edited The Fits. And she's, I mean, The Fits is one of my favorite films a very underrated film from last year and i just i didn't see this movie it's so great jesus it's incredible um so i watched that and i was the editing was amazing in this film and i just looked her up and i reached i found i was twitter friends with anna rose homer the director and i reached out for her contact information for for the (laughs) the editor oh that's great again you're so bold you are so bold on twitter wait this you did this on twitter yeah i love it yeah i just reached out to her this And, and then like 
the costume designer, I was watching this movie called Christine, and it has Rebecca Hall in it. Yeah. Um, it was beautiful, very under, criminally underrated movie. Yeah. And it was period, the costumes were amazing. I find out Emma Potter is the costume designer. I look her up, I'm like, okay, she's not done a really small movie in a long time. Oh, wow. Because, I mean, she's she has so much work on indie movies. We reached out to her, and, like, it was a few weeks later. She she read it. She got back. She's like, oh, I'm doing this film. Oh, my God. Well- and, and, like, no one said no. Like, everyone we, like, went out to, you know, was our first choice, and they said yes. Who was your producer? Uh, the producers on the film were Overbrook. Overbrook. So, yeah. So that's um So they came on they were like the hands on people. They were the yeah, they were the hands on people and they were all there was also two executives there that were the on set people every day. Where did they come from? From WME? So Overbrook found it because I went out with the short in twenty sixteen and the feature script. So they were going together. Oh wow. like out to producers and we went out to so many people and so many people passed. And then Overbrook, I was going in there for a general, like it wasn't even about Hala. And the executive just asked me what else I was working on. And then I mentioned, like, there's this movie that I really want to get made. Yeah. And he was like, can I read it? And I was like, sure. And I didn't really think much of it until a few weeks later. And then um, it was from my manager. I heard, like, oh, they're interested in this script and, and want to talk to you. manager at Three Arts, right? Yeah. Ari? Lubet. Ari Lubet. And then, oh, wow. Oh, but all the meetings with producers got set up through WME, yeah. right? It was through Ari. Yeah. And then Overbrook. And then it was like sort of a joint effort between Three Arts and Overbrook finding the financing. And it wasn't until the script was on the blacklist that people at uh, WME were alerted to the movie. Oh, and, really? Yeah. I think it was sort of circulating in the talent. I think talent department had it, but then... It was their global department sort of read the script and were really excited about it. Oh, the talent department had it to give to, to actors? To, at ca- to try and cast it, but that was before we had a financier. Oh. So once once it was in the department that actually puts movies together, that was when it got exciting. That's the global department? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and that happened. So the blacklist came out. It was like in December. Then I had a meeting with WME, like, this year in, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm um, trying to kill you with the microphone here. Oh God, there we go. And then I had a meeting sometime. I think it was like February or March, and then I went back to Chicago. Didn't think anything of it, and they were like, "Okay, we want to we want to find the money for you." Oh my goodness, what's what is the size of this movie? Can I ask you? That's totally tacky. I don't know if I don't know if I'm allowed to say, but oh, it's a, it's to, a small movie. Though. Under under a million, over a million. Can you say that? I don't know if I can even don't say even that. say that then. Good thing to know. I always ask the word. I'm always like, "What kind of camera did you use?" And how much is the movie? What kind <laughs> no. Of, no, I ask the same thing. I'm like, yeah. "What camera did you use? What lenses? Yeah. Um, did you shoot on film? What stock?" You exactly. Know? I think it's important. But then I get made fun of by like my other filmmaker friends, and then I'm like, "But I want to. How am I going to learn if I don't ask the questions? I care. It's you know about all the details." But um, oh yeah, then how did the blacklist thing come about? So the blacklist. Did you submit your you submit yourself? No, you or? can't. You can't submit a script. So the oh. way it's done is, they so every year Franklin sends out emails to executives in Hollywood and asks them like, "What were your favorite unproduced screenplays?" Um, so that you know that everyone votes. 
So you can put as many scripts on there as you want. And then at the end of the year, Franklin gets all the responses back. There's a deadline by which you have to submit your votes. And then he tallies them up. And then the scripts are ranked the best, the most liked scripts. He says it's not best liked. It's not, he's not, it's not a best, li- best scripts list. It's yeah. a most liked scripts list. Um, so then he just puts them together in this document and then he like makes it a huge event and like oh my releases goodness. them online. So actually what's really cool was when Hollow was announced, it was Ava DuVernay was announced it on in this little video. So he has like these famous people announce these scripts on like YouTube and you know, there's like for every one of the scripts. So like last year I think there was like seventy scripts on the list and Hollow was in the top I think it was like in the top fifteen. Oh my scripts. Goodness. I think I'm it's Hala. It's Hala. Yeah, it's Hala. Like I like called it Hala because that's how she's pronounced. Yeah, her name is pronounced in the movie, right? Yeah, in the in the short, it's called Hale because the parents, who are actually Iranian, were like, I think it's just better if you call her Hale. And I was like, okay. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, because I was, you know, just you know. No, you're pronouncing. not wrong. Okay, yeah. but you but say in, Hala. And it's Hala, yeah. Okay, great. This, I just want to, you know, <laughs> say it how you want me to say it. So Hala. Okay, good. Um, Oh, but so and then, but the script is was is submitted by like WME or no by executive executive. So agents can't vote, so you can't you can't well, like who, vote for your own clients. But who and, are the exec, executives who submit it? Oh, was it Overbrook or was it Overbrook? So at that it's point? executive. So like Overbrook executives can submit it. But and they then, didn't have it yet, right? No, they had it. They had. Oh, so they submitted it. They can submit. Yeah, but then they other executives need to vote on it because. You need a certain number of votes to get. I'm on so there. confused. I'm so confused. Wait, who who are these uh, faceless uh, mystery executives? But they have it. They have it because it's been given to them. By... Yeah, it's circulated. Because remember when I said we went out with it and like a lot of people passed. Yeah, some of the people who passed voted on the script. Oh, that's not... oh. So they they just added the name. Of... They added your script to the list when they were asked. They were like, yeah, oh, this they were script like, oh I yeah, I read the script. Like we're not gonna make it, but like that script. Oh. That's like a lot of. How Hollywood works. Wow. Even if it, yeah, even if an executive doesn't, you know, or a producer doesn't end up being a part of a project, maybe they like the script. Maybe it's they like pass it on, or yeah. they share it, or tell their friends about it, and it becomes like I'm sure that you know it became more of a thing when like we Overbrook came on board and it was starting to get, you know, starting to become a more legitimate project. Yeah. Oh my God! All right, so I'm just getting the I'm getting the play by play of your life, figuring it all out. Um, it so. sounds more complicated than it is. It's, it was really just like for a few months we were going out with the script to people. A lot of people passed. Overbrook came on board, and then by the end of the year, the script had gotten some exposure, and people voted for it. Now, what is the the blacklist where you met Brian, Brian Kaufman? So you said so, the blacklist. There were. So that was that was four years ago. Oh, four years ago. Yeah. Well, what? the blacklist Has, list was last year. That, when that was, Hall, yeah. That's that's when you were on the blacklist. Yeah. Got it. But then you're at this. Yeah. A, a workshop, a seminar, a, a lab, a lab. Okay. And four years ago. Four years ago. How did that happen? That was something you submit to. You submit your script, and every year that was like the first year they're doing it. So that was like. We're going to try bringing screenwriters together for a week and putting them face-to-face with working screenwriters and just have, like, a real mentorship, like, one-on-one. And it was, like, a week 
in Las Vegas. We were like all in one place. I know Vegas. I know what? it sounds crazy. <laughs> Wait, what's the name of the man who who's in charge of the blacklist? Franklin Leonard. And was he there? Yeah. And right. it was him, and then these these screenwriters. So Brian was there, and Jenny Lumet, you know, um, Kristen. It was just all these, all these people. And then we all like it was. I think it was six of us, and we just like one on one went through our scripts, and we like had group sessions, and we learned. We also had individual sessions with everybody. So like, I what? sat down with like Billy Ray for like two hours. Billy Ray. The writer of uh, Captain Phillips. Okay, I immediately go to Billy Ray Cyrus, but that's where my brain goes. And uh, how dare you? <laughs> and also the writer of uh, The Last Tycoon, the the Amazon series. I don't know who that is, but he's he's we, a tremendous tremendous writer. Um, I can't remember your name, sir, but uh, <laughs> you matter. That's all that matters. <laughs> yeah, they were um, great. I mean, it was it yeah. was such a cool experience. So it's a week you're in Vegas. Yeah, you're not gambling. You're not drinking. No, we went to you're living your life. Focused. Yeah, and we were working on a script. We, it was like a pretty intense schedule. And you and did you read your script aloud? Like with we didn't the, read our scripts aloud, but everyone was expected to read each other's scripts. So like oh like on your own time? Yeah, on your own time and then you come together and then we would all like talk about them and critique them. This is okay that I'm going so deep. I'm getting so detail oriented. This is like a weird master class for me. <laughs> just like just really invading your life being like, I want to know every single detail. What? What, what? tell Not me about at this lab? Okay, good. Because it's yeah. actually it's like super like, when I tell people, like, oh, yeah, I did that. And they're like, but what was it? And I'm yeah. like, oh, it was just a thing. <laughs> yeah, but so you're, but you're all, and you're all, ta- you've, you've all on your own time read each other's scripts. Right. There are about six scripts. Mm-hmm. Total. Total. It's very intimate. That's good. You can't read all these other scripts. I mean, there are too many scripts. They're above six. That's too many. But uh, you're just a person. How can yeah, you read all these six scripts? Is a lot, six is a lot of scripts. But so, then we, And then you talk. And then, yeah, we got together and... You know, we all, like, we went through each of our scripts and talked about, like, what's working, what's not, and where did we see it going next? And so that was really helpful to get it from other, like, aspiring writers, but then also you would have the other, you know, the working screenwriters who are also giving some perspective, too. Yeah. And it was, it was, like, a very, that was where I really started to learn how to revise because oh God, before revising how yeah. boring it's so boring because it's so difficult it how do you really, do it it's really difficult also like for a long time i was kind of over it i was like it's gotta be raw it's gotta be it's good it's gotta be raw <laughs> it's gotta be just what it is and then you're like no <laughs> it's really bad when you don't revise oh god and like that was the first time where i had to take a script and just like literally throw it away i was like this is so bad I have to start over. It was a complete page one, and it was great. And it was great to do that? It was so great. It was great to just throw something away that, like, you'd I'd poured so much time in and be like, throw it away, and it's like, it can be better. Did you feel that what was meant to stay in the the new incarnation would just, it already lived inside of you? You would know what to keep— because it, would, it, would, yeah. it was already in the back of your mind and you didn't need to go like, oh, I got to cut and pay. I got to go into this thing and, and, and do like, uh, I don't know, alterations. You just throw it away. No, I just actually just threw it away. I get it. Oh, <laughs> and wow. I started over. And it was, it felt like such a weight had been lifted off <sighs> me. And that's how writing like and revising now feels for me. It's like this painful process to get the first draft. You do it and you have it in your hands and you're like, okay, I have at least this. Then you start, start again. How many revisions? How many drafts do you usually do? Oh, my God, so many. How many features have you written? I've written so many. How many? Give me an idea. I mean, there was this... I posted on Instagram once. I had this old folder of mine 
that had like old like this is from dating back to 2010 which is when I started writing really started writing scripts I think there was like maybe 15 plus projects in there feature scripts there was a couple of pilots too and yeah it's like they're all in the graveyard they're all in the graveyard there's yeah there wasn't there was a lot of bad stuff a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. What was so bad about it? Just It's just amateur or it's it's der- too derivative. It feels like too much like the movies that I like but not my voice and not the things I care about. So a lot of the early stuff was like kind of mimicking, you know, filmmakers whose work I liked. And I'm and I only realize that now that it was like useful exercise to get it out of my system. Yeah. And now I feel better having like a, being able to approach stories through my own perspective and not feeling I have to, it has to be like something else. Yeah. Like our industry works so much on comps, which is like, it's kind of like this meets this. And I hate that kind of thinking. It's very frustrating and it's reductive in a way. I understand why it, why, why executives and why studios and marketing people need to think that way because they're thinking about how did we market this movie so we can know how to market this movie? And But from the perspective of the writer and the filmmaker, it's not very helpful. I think it's helpful to just like think about what you're trying to say, why you're trying to say it, and just say it. And then worry about the more technical stuff kind of after the fact. Yeah. Not to say you should throw away all of the good stuff, the good, like, you know, rules and, you know, advice that you have. But I think at the end of it, you kind of have to build your own process because it has to be, like, comfortable for you. Like, it's not a one-size-fits-all thing. It has to be something that, you know, you go through these steps to get to where you want to go. And it has to be a process that you feel excited by. And I think too many writers, when they're starting out, they see oh, I have to hit these beats. So it becomes like an obsession with like, I have to hit this and this, you know, in a story when your story doesn't have those beats or maybe it just doesn't take that route Yeah, that so many other stories have taken. Yeah. And that's okay. It's so interesting. Like over the holiday, I watched like three like Eric Romare movies. Yeah. And I'm, you know, because I'm I'm obsessed with just like feelings and love and relationships Mm and monogamy and whatever all these things so I love Romare movies and I'm watching them I don't know if you've seen a ton of them or if you've seen any or I haven't actually well if you watch them and they're all like they're a bunch on filmstruck like I watched Claire's Knee this movie called La Collectionuse about like a boy crazy young mm-hmm. girl and being judged for being boy crazy and dating lots of guys whatever and then another movie called Love in the Afternoon and also goes by like Chloe in the Afternoon and I'm watching these movies and there is no classic story structure at all. It's just a bunch of like people just having conversations and then milling about and like eye fucking and like <laughs> and like tiny little details and intricacies. And it's so compelling. It's so beautiful the way it, the shot, the the sets or whatever. Like minimal locations. It's like you know usually just like set in a house or just like minimal minimal locations. Beautiful people in France in Paris <laughs> living their lives dissecting emotions and feelings and flirting and whatever and probably like you know cheating on their wives or whatever anyway and i can't and then and then the movie will just end it's and like it's crazy over. it's just over and all it's like it's like something like really 
you know, no closure, nothing. And then it's like, Finn. Yeah. And I'm like, what? I can't believe it. And I'm left wanting more. And it's so completely compelling. It's the greatest. It's like, and no classic story structure. And I just think that's so fascinating because it still works for me, or at least like, you know, the people who are meant to find it, find it. You know, just like I love like my dinner, my dinner with Andre. Mm-hmm. Do you like that movie? Yeah, I love that movie. It's just, you know, just sitting at a table having a conversation for about two hours. And I'm like, this is the meaning of life. I feel so much less alone because we're talking about what it all means and fulfillment and goals and death and whatever. And yeah, so I just get so I get so confused sometimes because I'm like, and then I read Save the Cat and you're like, well, you got to you know, in the hero's journey and all this stuff and you got to hit this mark and by this page and all this stuff yeah. and that all makes sense too and I'm sure all that structure is probably in these movies in some way in some ways in a more subtle light way but it, yeah it's just uh, I don't know I think that I think that what people are forgetting though is when people were writing those stories weren't necessarily just so self-consciously hitting those beats they were right like you kind of I think that they were just telling the story how it needed to be told and then after the fact, we're looking at it like sort of in a archaeological way, right? Like all of these movies have something in common. And it's, you know, it's a very academic way of looking at, the, at these movies. And so, but I think where it gets like maybe a little frustrating is when people use that, the archaeological information of like this is how these stories were told and have traditionally been told yeah. to this is how they should be told. And this is the template for how you make a movie. When in reality, it's usually not so deliberate. You know, it's just we figure out who our characters are and what their flaws are, what their challenges are going to be, and how they're going to overcome them. And we tell that story. Yeah. Maybe they don't overcome them. Maybe they lose. But that it just depends on what story you're telling. And then that's that's just the journey of the story. And maybe it fits a lot of, you know, fit, you know hits these beats. But maybe you know maybe it hits most of them, and or some of them and not others. But I feel like, as a writer, you just can't be so, so self conscious about it. Like you can't be like, here's my like, yeah. you know, like, like I do index cards because it just helps me organize. But I know writers who don't do that, like who don't do any of that. They I just, just started, yeah, yeah. They're just wing on the seat, flying by the seat of their pants. Um, which I kind of admire because I used to be like that and now I'm not like that anymore. Yeah, I was taught about index cards and I was like, oh my God, it makes so much sense where I had to throw something away completely and be like, oh, first act, second act, third act. Oh, okay, like midpoint realization or whatever. I just got like taught like this lesson and how you're, whatever you're supposed to do. <laughs> and that was like so irritating because I, I, I wanted to be like, well, I wanted to outline stuff and then fill in the blanks. But also I was like, I'm just going to, intuitively work through this on channeling yeah <laughs> which i think is cool too but uh i don't know but it's all good it's all learning and just trying to get better at telling a story or helping somebody feel less alone or yeah that's a lot of it making people feel less alone yeah and like i wouldn't ask you because you're talking about you know your voice and what you care like how would you to somebody who may have never heard of you and they're just learning about you via this podcast like what would you say what are you trying to say like what is your voice what do you care about what are you trying to express in in your short films and your your feature and just yeah i mean your body of work i think i feel like there's a common thread for sure in all of them 
part n- not because I like I'm like by the way there's a common thread I think it's people have said that to me and I and I think it has something to do with this you know I have tend to have um you know these characters who feel like outcasts and are in some way trying to find acceptance trying to feel less alone and sometimes finding it in you know finding this communion with other people like finding this connection with someone else who also feels the same way and that's like a you know sort of a thread yeah and then there's this other thread of like how i am telling these stories and i think part of it is like trying to focus on singular perspectives so like for Hala, it's like it's about this girl and everything is through her eyes and how does she see the world and perceive it and experience and all of that and how can I present that visually and it's about for me at least approaching that kind of story is about giving her the dignity of like making her central making it feel like her problems are very real and they meet, they have weight to them, even though she's a young woman, even though she's a teenager. And I try to do that for all of my characters to some degree, is to not diminish, you know, their feelings or their problems based on who they are, where they came from, how old they are. You know, I think I think that's important for, like, making characters feel like they're human and not just characters. Yeah. So that's something that I really care about. I always feel like I start with, I start a story with the character. I think of the person, you know, who's struggling with something and how, you know, how do they sort of go about their life? And I think it's more of an existential thing for me. Like, it's not like she's under the gun and she has to find a way to escape. She's going to rob a bank. Yeah. It's like, it's a very interior thing. A lot of the characters in the things I write, they're facing very serious interior problems. And, of course, there are other things, the external problems, but it starts with something inside of them that they feel is wrong or is preventing them from being their full or actualized selves and how they get to being more whole. That's, like, most of the stories I want to... That's, like, the heart of a lot of stories, but, like, the things that I'm... The way that I work is I try... I try... The story starts there for me. And then after Sophie is like everybody else's how they saw yeah. Sophie, right? So that was interesting to make because... That was so great. Thank you. Yeah. The character is Sophie. And then it became about how other people, per, how other people perceive her and what they think she, who they think she is and what she was struggling with. But in that version of the story, it was about how we might, have, we might never know. Like, maybe the person is gone to us, lost to us, and then all we have are, like, the remnants of the life they left behind. And we apply some kind of logic. We try to understand, you know, what what led someone to make the decisions that they did. or And we only have projections of that. Like, yeah. we never have the full thing, and maybe it doesn't actually make sense. Maybe we're just you know, projecting some kind of reason onto it because we need to understand. Yeah. To make ourselves feel like... We have some control in it. Yeah, or like, oh, like, it was just this or that, and we can kind of... It makes sense to us. But when in reality, 
it can be so confusing and disheartening to learn is that there is no reason you'll never it. know maybe you'll yeah. just never know and that's okay but people can't handle that or no it's unsettling it's so bizarre i'll have conversations with people just where they'll tell me about me or what they thought yeah. like oh yeah we had dinner a month ago and you you seemed very blah blah and i just assumed you know and i just you were this is everything that was going in your mind or this is where you're at and i'll i've i've heard a lot of people and their projections uh, you know, that they placed upon me and been so shocked by how wrong they are yeah. and how dangerous that is. And it's just so bizarre. And, you know, I, I just can't stand it. It's so, because yeah. I'm kind of a control freak. I'm an only child. I'm like, and, and then to know that like, oh, wow, like people are constantly doing that with everybody. I do that with people. I We're doing to, it all the time. We're doing it all the time. I try to keep myself in check and be like, oh, but I really don't know. And you never know. And blah, blah, blah. I'm going to worry about myself here and not... But yeah, when I actually hear people vocalize like, yeah, what I'm about yeah. through their eyes and they're so completely wrong, it just makes me go, makes me go oh God, I give up. I can't. Do and then I, I put myself out there so heavily on, on the internet or, you know, and on Instagram and I, and I think, well, I'm landing the information. I'm saying exactly how I feel about a thing and then I'll have people direct message me and it's my own fault for putting myself out into the yeah. world, whatever. They'll direct message me, completely not understand what I thought I... I said so eloquently, I, I thought I really landed information, and then they'll hear it in a completely different way I never knew was possible, and it's so irritating. And again, <laughs> I'm just like, oh, fuck, this. I can't take this. <laughs> it makes me want to leave. I mean, I think, it happens, I think it happens now more with social media because people think they, they have an image of what your life is. Yeah. And they, they, or they have an understanding of, like, who you are based on what you choose to share with other people. Yeah. Ay, See, the thing with Twitter is people for a long time thought, Why? like, well, at the first, when I first started on Twitter, like, there were the hard times, like, before I was making stuff. The hard times? The hard times. Tell I me. I, I describe it as the hard times because people might remember my Twitter as being really depressing. Oh, really? What year? This was, like, 2013, 2014, like, stuff. Vintage. Vintage. Vintage, <laughs> uh, um, Twitter, where it was just, um... It was all about the struggle. Like, I was always like, man, like, it's really hard to do this stuff. It's hard to... It was when I was just still learning my writing process. And obviously, you're like, no one. And you're like, what am I even doing on Twitter? Like, who cares? And then I moved to L.A. And people thought, like, whoa, you're, like, a lot more... You're, like, really positive. And I, and I was just kind of taken aback by that. And, and then they would, like quote some tweets where I said like oh I had I wrote something like it should be acceptable to cry in public like let's make that happen like let's please make it okay to cry in public yeah. and people are like wow are you going through something I'm like no yeah to me that seems like a, a lovely casual tweet <laughs> to me because I understand that we, we try to front so hard I, I have that thought too a lot where, where I'm like god who decided we all had to pretend we're all okay all the time yeah I don't I don't really I don't subscribe to that. <laughs> but then people think, you know, that they're, you're they're like, a breakdown. you're like having a breakdown or you're depressed. And you're like, but that's the, you know, so much of our process and of like making things, it's depressing. It's not easy. It's so, it's met with so much failure. Like that's normal. And then over time, it's become more of like a positive place to like, so, you know, my, at least my feet anyway, to celebrate other people's work and bring other people up. And talk about what I like in movies rather than what I don't. So it's just been this very concerted effort to, like, change this. Sort of like as I'm growing up as a person, too. I've realized what I appreciated in those people's feeds when I was starting out was that it was this 
very blunt and honest view of their lives of, as as writers and creators and fil- as filmmakers. Yeah. So I try to give some of that bluntness as well, but I think you know with that bluntness co- bluntness also comes the harsh reality of our jobs have a lot of stress. You know, our, it's not like a walk in the park. It's not easy. Like I posted that thing about like the three things I'm excited, you know, I accomplished this yeah. year. Yeah. And that took, it was really, it took a moment for me to th- really think about like, wow, I actually feel like I'm finally where I thought I would be like several years ago. You paid off your debt. Yeah. You made a feature. Yeah. What was the other thing? And the other thing was, goodness, what was it? Oh. Made a feature, paid off all my debt. Oh, built a in real life film community. Yeah, that was really important. Yeah, and it was it was very fun. When did things? I guess it's like Ron Bryan's uh, the moment podcast or something. But like, uh, have you been on his podcast? <laughs> no, you will be. You should be. But uh, when did things shift? Like, when did things change? I think things for the better. Things change for the better. Well, I came back to LA, and that really that really helped. That was in 2015. Yeah, I think I was getting a little uh, demoralized in Chicago. Why? Partly because I was living with my family, oh, and that's got a always double hard. life. Your double yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, that was. It's always hard to live with your family after you've graduated college because you're like, I really can't do this, but. <laughs> you also have to do that. you you know I you're saving went, money you save some money and then I like I knew where I wanted to go I had to be patient I was sort of saving up and like building myself up to move and writing and then, yeah and just writing a lot so when I moved in 2015 it was like I finally feel like I'm getting um somewhere at least mentally I was in a better place because I was like I'd moved and the second thing was I just started to be a little I started to ask for help. Oh, it's so scary. I know. You it's have really to do hard. that, don't you? That's I just started asking. I started, like, going to AFI. Or, like, I went to, I would go to events and just, like, get the resources that I needed. And I became a little fearless because I was like, well, I have nothing to lose. Oh, it's so scary. You're so wonderful to do that because you have to be brave. You have to ask people for help in this, in filmmaking and yeah. making. You have to ask for a lot of help. And you, there's this assumption <sighs> that... Is it is what I'm asking for help for even worth it? So I like it would go through, you know, go through, go in my go through in my head. Like I don't know if I should be doing this. Like I'm no one. Like why would they want to help me? And then I was consistently surprised that people would want to help. Where they'd read the script, they'd give it a shot, they would, you know, give their thoughts. And sometimes, you know, it was like, yeah, let's let's do this. It was with, you know, with Hala at least the short film. I was going into it thinking I have no business asking anyone for help because I don't have anything to my name. Nobody knows who I am. And why would people want to work so hard for so little on some, you know, on something like this? And I was really, I was pleasantly surprised that there were so many people that just wanted to make the movie because they believed in it. And I think that is the cool thing about our business is that we're all like artists and there's people who are out there just wanting to be a part of projects that they care about. You know, part of it is like, okay, they have to pay their bills and they have to do do the jobs that they need to do to make money. Um, but then there's the jobs they do because they love them. And I've found that to be true over and over. Like, even now, like, I'll have 
just random people like message me on Instagram or Twitter being like, how can I help? Well, they send me their resumes. I'm like, man, I wish I could hire you on something. I just, oh my God. Yeah. It's become a pretty, it's become so frequent now that I don't know what to do. Oh, that's lovely. There's like too much. And I'm like, I shoot like one thing, like every few, like, you know, last year was, you know, this past year was awesome because I shot the short film pretext and then I shot Hala, but you know, next year might be different. So. What is pretext about? Uh, that was a password protected on. Uh, oh yeah, on Vimeo. What is that? It's about a young woman who confronts her sexual assailant, and um, we shot it. It was like a very quick thing we shot in in um, the summer, when I was getting really anxious about Hala? Uh, about Hala because Hala took so much time. The feature took so much time to get. to put together i shot after sophie and then i shot pretext and i shot other music video i shot two music videos all in the time like trying to put holla together oh my god you shot two short films yeah two short films. two music videos yeah while trying to find financing and make holla, holla the, feature. the feature come yeah, to life because it took so long like so i got so anxious oh, wow. i was like i just have to do other stuff so I would write something, I would go on Twitter and be like, hey, I need this much money to put this film together. And random people would give me thousands of dollars just to put shorts together. Wait, you would just tweet that? Oh my God, I'm going to start doing that left and right. Do I'm it. looking for angel investors. Wait, <laughs> not even a crowdfunding thing? Or, no, or well, you would use... No, I just... You just I, ask for Venmo money? I would use it. I would have a PayPal account be like, okay, send it to here, and you'll get a credit in the movie. Like a producer credit? It would be like, you know, if you give this much money, it's kind of the same thing as the Kickstarter. Like, yeah. you know, you get... If you pay like a 1000 you get like an associate producer credit. So that's how I would do it. And Just I, to... Why not Venmo? Why to pay PayPal? Just it was because. just what it was whatever, whatever people had. Oh Jesus! Yeah, you're and amazing. It, and we did. I I had a good experience with Kickstarter, but they take a fee on their projects. It's like tiny, but it's it's also annoying to like go through the whole thirty days and then you have to wait a couple of weeks. And, and also filling out all that shit is so boring. It's really annoying. So wait, you just straight up ask for money. You were like, I'm gonna make this thing about this thing. If you want this credit, give me this. Yeah. And th- just as, as opposed to like, here are the gifts and blah, no, blah, I, blah. No, I was like, that's so I boring. Was, Thank I was you. Like, I was like, no, fuck the gifts. Yes. No one's getting any gifts. <laughs> <laughs> like you just get a credit, you get a special thanks, you know, that's it. Like, because most people don't care. They're like, they just want to be a part of something. Oh, my God. Yeah. Unbelievable. Okay, wait. So what were we talking about here? Though? We so were talking about... Oh, pretext. Oh, so, so you, pre-te- you... Oh, you made the Little Dragon. You made a Little Dragon video, right? Yeah. That and, was earlier this year, too. And uh, and Karma. You made that music video, yeah, Karma. Yeah, that was late... Yeah, that was last October that I That's did. That's incredible. So you did all these things trying to... Okay. Trying to make your feature well, come to I was, life. Yeah, because I was trying to find the money. and It was just taking a while. And then I was like, It takes right. a while, doesn't it? Yeah, because there's so many there's so many no's, and then there's so many people who come to the table, and they're like, well, okay, like, we're interested, but here are all the strings. And you're like, no. What were the strings? Like, notes? They give you notes on your script? No, not so much notes. It was like, can you shoot the movie in Los Angeles? And I was like, mm, no, because the story was set, you know, the story was always set in the Midwest, and it was, like, based on my experience growing up in Chicago, I was really... It's meaningful to you. You have to do it, it that way. It was really important. It's really important. And I'd shot so much in L.A., and I love L.A., but 
it was important for like the future when we have more resources to be able to shoot it where it was meant to be shot. Yeah. And not try to make a compromise on that because I think I think it matters in small ways. Like it definitely changes the feel of the film, like to be shot in Los Angeles. I think it has a different vibe. Um and it's also like not where I grew up, so I don't know what yeah. being a young person in LA looks like in the sense that I wasn't it's not my personal experience and I was the story of Hollow was very personal. And so like that was like part of the problem, um, trying to find financing and enough of financing. So it was just we were waiting for months and months. It was a long time. And in that time, I was getting really, really anxious. Oh, I totally understand. I was it. like, I got to shoot something. And I can't believe it. And you just wrote other stuff that quickly. Yeah, it was. It would usually come about where I was like feeling sorry for myself. Like, Mike, am I ever going to get to make this feature? And then it would turn into, you know what? I'm just going to make something else. That's so inspiring to me. And like, I, yeah, it's just a completely inspiring. Wait, and when did. When did WME come into your life, and when did Three Arts come into your life? Three Arts came into my life in 2015 when I, uh, they found me through my Kickstarter campaign. Sort for of. which Kickstarter campaign? For, for Hala, the short. The short. It was. Ari found you? Ari found me through an executive who saw my Kickstarter campaign and thought it was cool. Who's the executive? I got to see this Kickstarter <laughs> campaign. Um, I think it's still up. Um, it, his name is John Wu, and he, um, he works at Fox. And he saw it, and he was like, well, what's this about? And I was like, well, I'm just making this short film, and I have a plan to make a feature. And I was just, like, so resolute, like, I know what I'm doing. And he asked if I had representation, and I said no. And I was like, well, I don't even want it, because at that time, I was just like, I just want to make stuff. I want to make it fearlessly. I don't want to care, like, what reps think. It's just, like, doesn't. I don't want that to enter my, like, thinking and making things. And he was like, I know, but I think it might help you because you know what you're doing. You just need someone to, like, disperse your work, to be your ally, to shape your career. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so I just was like, well, if you want to send my stuff, like, go ahead. That's sort of how I left it. And then Ari found, Ari reached out to me. And then that's how we met in 2015. And WME was only this year, like, in March that was really, that's been recent. That's been recent. That was after the blacklist or no? Right that before? was after the blacklist. So they were like, like, we're coming for you. Yeah. We are coming for you. Wait, what does Ari do at Three Arts? He's a manager. But with only with film, right? Film, yeah, film he reps well, directors, right? He represents writers and directors. Writers and directors. Um, oh my goodness. And then what is this Ryan Murphy mentee thing I read about? Oh yeah, that was. How uh, did that come about? What was that? I um I'm digging deep. I want to know it all, baby. <laughs> I want to know it all. <laughs> so last year I met this um executive at FX and he brought up um that Ryan was doing this shadowing program for for directors. So basically Ryan has so many shows on air and he has sort of made it his part of his mission to sort of break in new directors and the way he and part of that is like training people and training people through shadowing so what so the program is like 20 25 people he pick you know they pick people you submit what do you you submit submit an application of like uh you know your resume some samples of your previous work 
and why you want to shadow and what your interest is, is in the program. And then you need to have, you know, references of like people who can vouch for your work. And then they, you submit it and then they pick 20, 25 people. And then this was this past summer, um, I shadowed on American Horror Story Cult. On 2017? Yeah. All this stuff while I was waiting for all of it to be put together. Wow. Yeah. And then this, um, it's sort of, so we just, it's like each of these mentees gets paired up with a director and you follow that director through prep and production of an episode of television, of episode of one of his series. So for me, it was American Horror Story and the director I shadowed was Gwyneth Horder Payton. And that was, yeah, that was like, you know, through prep, like, I think it's two weeks or something and then two weeks of shoot. I'm sort of like blurring in my head because it was like we were, it was, she was directing two episodes together. So I was sort of there for part of that too. Um, But yeah, it was like a really amazing experience. It's the first time I'd been on a TV set, like behind the scenes. I never really, I like have this unfortunate... (laughs) like inexperience when it comes to working on other people's sets like a lot of people like build their way out you know they work as PAs and they work in various departments and then they direct their own stuff I couldn't get those jobs so I just like made my own stuff so it was nice to like be on a set where like oh the things are done in a a certain way like it, it was very you know professional and you and I learned so much about you know, working really fast because, you know, they shoot, they don't, they have like eight days to shoot an episode, something like that. And it's really fast. Like I, part of that is like learning like how, how you have to like communicate so quickly and like clearly to your actors and to your collaborators to get, to be very precise, to get what you need in the time that you have to make your days and to make it, you know, not, very and you have to make it not just get the scene but get the heart of the scene and so that's like what I learned like just watching Gwyneth work is that she's very sharp and very precise and just completely knows what she's doing at all times where does she come from she had worked as an assistant director for I think 20 years or something like that oh my god yeah do you feel like the shadowing experience it it completely it helped you with your feature as well. Or oh my it god, it was different? so great! It, it was, was so great. It was great because I think with Hala the feature, it was like just a bigger undertaking, and there was you know we're shooting five or six pages a day, so it was a lot of like okay, it is kind of like similar. TV. Yeah, it's kind of similar in its its uh, pace. Yeah, it's very fast. So there was that similarity, and the other thing was just. You know, it was the biggest crew that I've worked with before and learning how to work with these departments that have, like, multiple people. Like, I've had crews of, like, 12 people. Yeah. And it's easier because it's, like, 12 people. But here it's, like, a bigger crew and you really have to be so much more specific about what you want and just be really clear and also just constantly available, like, for any questions all the time, anytime, because they're constant, they're always working. Like you tell them like five things and they go away and they like make something and they're like presented to you and you're like, here's some notes. They go away and they bring it to you. And it's just, you know, it's, but it's all so fast too. Cause we prepped the movie in four weeks and we shot in 18 days. Oh, wow. So it was, it was like, 
Yeah, it was like over before I knew. Yeah. Like at last day, I was like, oh, okay, I guess we're done shooting. And are you happiest when you're in the making and the doing of something? Oh, yeah. Because you get out of your head and you're just in, it's like, you're just present. Yeah, it's a different feeling than writing. Like making something is like, is is like the greatest joy like being on set is where I feel like most at home and also I think it's the part that feels less the least lonely yeah. like being on set with other people and there's such excitement and so much passion to make this thing that you like wrote a long time ago and you put everything into it and they're putting everything into it and it's fun you're all working towards one common yeah, goal yeah it's fun Writing is totally different because it's, like, the dark, deep, like, subterranean, like, really hard existential stuff that, like, you have to, or at least I feel like I have to do on my own and, like, learn something about myself in the process of writing something, and it's really hard. But directing is just, it's joyous. It's, like, the best, and I wish I could do more of it. The interesting thing is I used to always wonder how directors could just direct and not directors who don't write their own material mm-hmm. you know directors who aren't writer directors I thought I just didn't, I could never really understand that I thought, how interesting oh, okay well they have a vision for the thing and I get it and it's their vision and point of view for, for the work but that just seemed but yeah it is writing is such a lonely lonely thing it takes so long it takes forever and they're and yeah so it makes you it makes me rethink like oh wow it might just be so much more fun to just pop in and just, it must, just yeah. direct, you know? And you not, know, not just direct, but you know what I mean, as opposed to, like, the... Yeah. I mean, I think I... Yeah, exactly. Like, there's something about... Well, writing and directing your own things is just very exhausting. Because you come out of it and you're like, whoa, that was, like, two years of my life. You two know what I mean? Two years of your life. Or, like, for me, I just found this note that I wrote yesterday in my phone, and it was, like... December of 2014 and it says Muslim girl story and then there were some notes on it and I was like oh my god this was Hala like before it was Hala oh my god it was so long ago and I was reading that and and thinking I've been trying to make this movie since I basically I wrote this little note and that's like three years of my life and we're not done yet. And you're not done yet. Do yeah. you have, uh, did you get like lots of names attached to the to the project to help you know financing or no? I'm, the financing wasn't cast contingent. Oh wow! Yeah, it was amazing. We That's had a beautiful. Yeah, it's a pretty pretty unique situation. Uh-huh. I got I got very lucky, but also the nature of the story was that this this girl is going to be central to the story. She is the lead. Um, it's not going to be someone that's known, you know, it's going to be, you know, someone up and coming and the parents too are going to probably be people that we've maybe never seen before. And that was like, the family was like the most important. And so anyone who was coming on board seriously had to know that this is what the story is about. And it's not about names because it's not their story. This is very much hers. And we had to pre- like preserve the authenticity of that because, yeah, it can, can get kind of complicated when you don't have a financier who's like on the same page about that. Well, and then I have a question: when when you're making the things, when you're making work while you're waiting to get financing for Hala, and because we had talked about how like revising, 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 yeah. and writing takes forever, and you got to revise, 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 and whatever, and throw things away, and yet you you wrote things so quickly. 
in the waiting period. So how did that writing process? Like, it was just... it was similar. Though. It was similar. Like I would write something. It would like with after Sophie was like I wrote it in a weekend. You just wrote it in a weekend. Yeah, we wrote, I wrote it, and then so it was like Friday. I had like an outline of it, and then by Sunday it was like a first draft. I sent it out to a couple people to read it, and then by that following weekend, the next weekend, there was a revision. And then we were revising up until we were shooting. Um, and then we did some revisions on the day, obviously. But it was it's similar, but it's just it's more manageable because it's a short and it's like only like 10 pages. And there's lots of voiceover, too, so you couldn't you do stuff in post also? We did a lot of stuff. Yeah, we did some voiceover in post, but actually, like, most of that voiceover was in the recorded in the interviews. Yeah. That we just didn't use, use the part. Yeah, use it when they were saying the it. imagery, then, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. And how do you know Allie Hel... Is, how do you say his last name? Hel... Helvain? Helwain? Helwain? Oh, Allie. Yeah. The composer. How do you yeah. know him? I found him on Twitter. You did? Yeah. He does I'm such, pretty sure. He does such great work. I had, so talented. He's amazing. I listened to his stuff. And then I looked him up, and I realized he'd done some work with, I think it was Alex Prager. Yeah. Yeah, she's a very talented um, artist. And so I just reached out to him, and I said, hey, I have this short. We started working together in 2015 on Hala. Oh, wow. Yeah. The short. The short, and then he did Sophie, and then he did Pretext. Um, Do you think he'll ever do comedy? Yeah, maybe he will. No, actually. no, you. Do you think I'll do? comedy? Do you ever think you'll do comedy, or you're, you're more like because your your stuff is so it's dramatic and intense and moving and yeah, I just I actually really want? yeah I have this desire I really do I think my the humor that I really like is very dry yeah and it's just very absurdist like I really love The Office and I feel like that humor is like my like the humor that I really enjoy and one yeah. of my favorite comedies is Super Bad. Oh really? Yeah. So I, I think love Super Bad. Yeah, so I'm like how I would love to do a comedy like that. Like that would be really great. Yeah. Or something even you know like I just watched um Ruben Oslin's The Square. Oh, I haven't seen that. Is it's, that a comedy? I think it's a comedy. I gotta see this. I mean, have you seen this? It's being it's being kind of billed as like a drama, and it won the Palme d'Or at Ken, you know, this past year. It's amazing. I think it's a comedy. Like I gotta see this. Like his a previous film, Force Majeure, is oh, it's a dramedy type movie. I haven't seen that. Oh, so the Square is his is, most recent movie. Oh, my friend Ty, Ty West told me to watch that. He's like, you have to, you have to see Force Majeure. Yeah, you have to. And the square. And he's like, yeah. you must. And I'm like, okay. And I haven't seen it. You're, <laughs> like, you're like, no. I'm like, leave me alone. No, Ellie <laughs> is full of people giving you movie recommendations. And you're like, okay, thanks. You're like, I'm back like, off. I'm full up now. Like, <laughs> I have enough friends giving me movie recommendations. Yeah. Um, and you have a boyfriend. Yeah. How do you maintain, how do you, how are you so prolific, working so hard, doing so many things, so passionate about your work, and then you have it sounds like you have a healthy relationship. Who is this person? You don't have to tell me your name, but I mean, like, how do you find the balance is what I'm really, that's that's what I really mean. I almost, I was going to ask you the same question. I was like, how do you do all this stuff? <laughs> do do I do a lot of stuff? You have, yeah, it seems like you're like, you're oh. like in the, you're like busy and you're working. And oh, God, project on me, please. <laughs> that sounds great. Am I busy and working? Aristotle's like, shrug. <laughs> Aristotle's like, shrug. <laughs> um... I mean, I have this podcast. I wrote a feature. I'm writing another thing because I'm. That's a I'm, lot. 
Well, because I'm trying to find money for my feature. That's why I'm like totally like fascinated with everything you're saying and you're all inspiring to me because I'm so getting so disenchanted looking for financing for my feature, trying to write something for a much smaller amount, like like a single location yeah. movie. Because I found a tiny chunk of money, I think, to make a very, very micro budget movie. But I'm like, fuck, I thought I said everything in the other thing. I said all this stuff in this other thing, this, these things I'm trying to communicate that mean something to me. Now I've got to come up with something else. Oh, God. But I want to make something. And, and, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm getting very riled up here. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> but I'm single, you know, and I feel like dating, um, while it probably fuels the work I want to make because it's all about, you know, yeah. love and all the stuff like Eric Romare stuff. Uh, it's just it's it also is exhausting and it takes a lot of energy and it takes me from what I'm trying to do. I probably I probably would have accomplished so much more. Whatever I guess everything is exactly as I guess everything's exactly as it's meant to be. There's a I think Are you throwing dating under the bus. You're like I'm well, done. I don't know what to do because I am I'm so into you know I'm like I am I I don't know I'm I have these ideas I it's like I'm an idealist I think or yeah. something like where I'm like oh yeah like I want a beautiful like teenage kind of passionate love that's monogamous and your soulmate and all the things and your best friends and you go off and you do your cool things and you inspire each other and and I have just not been it's finding possible. that. It's possible. Is it? Yeah, I think well, it's possible. So how long have you been in your relationship for? Because I also feel like dating, I feel like being in a relationship, here's my plea for monogamy, is like you you get better. It's just you get more grounded. Yeah. You're not out searching. You're not looking at apps or whatever people do or whatever or trying to have sex with like a you know virtual vr porn or with a robot i don't know like right so yeah i just feel like i could be i'm either gonna be completely on my own or i want like a really healthy wonderful kind grounded inspiring thing with like like probably like a a writer's brain so i can like talk about all our things watch movies a ton like understand you need space but you want to come together and reflect on all the stuff in your brain i feel like you're describing my relationship oh my god it sounds like a dream wait so how long have you been in a relationship for so i met i met my current partner in 2015 um and he i met actually met him in a general Um, what do you mean where for who he's an executive he's a development executive amazing so i met him just because he had read one of my scripts and we were just talking and then that's actually not how the relationship started. That's just how I met him. Yeah. And then I was on Bumble. <laughs> you were? Yeah, I was on Bumble because a friend of mine suggested I try it because random men can't just message you. You like it has to be you that has to message them first or there's something like yeah. some mechanism so you don't get unwanted unsolicited messages. Yeah. So I j- I saw him on there and I messaged him and then we su- we started like hanging out and getting to know each other. So it's been more, it's been more than two years now. Oh, my God. What's fascinating about this relationship is it's what you're talking about of a relationship makes you more grounded and you get better as a human being. I think I think that's very true. I also feel like it wasn't until this relationship that I didn't feel like I had to throw it away because the work was more important. I felt like the work is really important. The relationship makes it possible for me to be grounded and, like, to approach my work with renewed energy, with new ideas, and it's it's just different. It's like before when I was like earlier in my early twenties, it was like my work comes first, so get in line, sort of yeah. mentality. Which is it's like terrible because who wants who wants to hear that even if it's true? Like no, like you know someone who's interested in you or pursuing you like doesn't want to hear that. 
but also the way I work, it would be like I go away and I just, you know, make my things and I become very unavailable or like I'll just like leave town <laughs> and then that's just the nature of the job and like the nature of how I am and I make a lot of unilateral decisions very decisively and I'm like that's just it like when I say like I'm gonna move to LA like just do it or like I'm going to Chicago to shoot my movie it's like done and I don't I didn't like the idea of having another person where I had to consult and like think about them and be like how do you think when I really don't care how yes I'm just gonna do what I want to do so why am I even why am I why are we even having this conversation so that was my mentality before. But now it's better because I think because he also works in film, he, like, gets it. Like, this is the first time someone gets it. They're like, okay, like, you need your own time to do your work. Like, when I come home at, like, 8 o'clock, it's not like you're suddenly available. Like, you're just going to drop everything and, like, hang out with me because you might be in the middle of something. You might be, like, making a breakthrough. You might not have gotten any writing done the first four hours of the day because your day sucked, and that's just how writing works. Yeah. And also, like, you know, being a female director in this town, which is, like, you know, being a director, period, in this town, but I think sometimes I've I'm made aware of my own gender. It's just, like, it's very frustrating to feel like, you know, you're it's not a competition because everyone can make their work and it's about their perspective and their voice so it shouldn't feel that way but sometimes it does feel that way when you see someone else you know like succeeding and like having a meteoric rise and it's usually a man and you're like what does it take like what do you have to do to be in that person's shoes but then like that anxiety of like who am I? Where am I? Like, what is what I have to say important? Why should people care? Like, why am I telling these stories? And then, like, there's so much of that in top of, like, being prolific, making the work, making it great. There's so much. Like, this job is insane. And it takes a very understanding partner to be like, you have a lot of, you like, you have a lot going on, and you're going to have to be so laser focused on that to get to where you want to go. And so I've, like, so many times I've, like, just bailed on so much stuff. On people? On, on bailed. I've just bailed. In your, in your relationship or with other people? With what in general? Like, yeah. you know, now my friends, we, like, do it to each other. So it's fine. Like, we just bail. And we're like, all right, sorry. Like, we're just writing or, like, going through something. Um, but this is the first relationship where it's, like, I just can't go out. I, like, have to finish this. This is important. Like, I have to, I will stay up watching all these movies because I'm doing research and it's important. And... It might be weird and you might feel very excluded or I'll just go through periods where I'm like, I don't I can't talk to you right now because this thing, this story like needs me. It's like a baby. And you're like, OK, it's you or the baby and the baby needs me more. So I go tend to the baby. That is the story. And then I come out of it and I'm better. But I do. Th I feel like there's only so many you know, partners that are, like, very, you know, empathetic and understand that, like, your work... Like, there's a lot of people whose lives aren't filled... You know, they they don't have stories that are preoccupying their time in the sense of, like, they have stories, but they're not, like, I have to share this story in this way. And so, whereas there's people who can go to a 9-to-5 and then they come home and they're like, I'm chill. I go from editing, so I'll go to editing at, like, 8. I get out at, like, 7.30 you know, and then I come home 
And then I'm like, then I'm thinking about the other project I'm supposed to be writing. So basically I had like a 10 plus hour day. I come back and now I'm working on a second project. And it's like, that's nuts. So why have a relationship at all? And when does that, <laughs> what, what does that look like? Is it- I mean, I think the relationship is important because it gives you some perspective. Because sometimes getting too much into the warp is bad. Like is. getting this warped reality of the world. Yeah, it is bad. Because you need to like be able to step away from it and be like, whoa, actually what I've done is significant. Or I may not have gotten to accomplish everything I did, but you know everything I wanted to. But I did accomplish some stuff. Like even that thing of like taking some time to think about three things that worked out this year. Or like having some perspective when it comes to money or practical stuff. Or like that there's a world outside movies and it's not just about movies and TV. Which is really hard when you're in it. Especially in this town. Yeah. Because you can't escape it. Like everybody's talking about their projects. And yeah. It's, and it becomes, it becomes very obsessive that if you don't have a project you feel like you're like Doing something. You're like a failure. You're doing it wrong. Like you need to go back home, <laughs> get go to graduate school. Yeah, those are like the things that like go through my head on, like pretty regular basis. So it's important to learn how to coexist with another human being and to get who gives you that perspective and also like cares about your well being when you don't. Because like sometimes being an artist means that you kind of. You can get so far into your hole that you don't you don't remember to eat properly or to exercise yeah. or just like ba- or you're even take care of your mental well-being. And there's a person there who's not your parent. You know, they're not like going to bail you out, but they're there to be supportive and, you know, tell you when you're being bad to yourself, too. Yeah. So I've, I have that really good relationship where it feels like. I'm being very supported emotionally and, you know, sort of as a person, but also as an artist. And I think that's pretty, it's hard to find because people get upset, you know, people like, you know, significant others get upset when you don't spend time with them when they want on their schedule. And it's like, man, I wish I had a schedule. Yeah. What schedule? I remember I got out of a relationship one time because he was like, well, when are you going to be done writing? And I went, when am I going to be done writing? Like writing what, though? Like you, like writing this project or like writing in general? And yeah, I was just saying, like, we came about like this project or something. And I went, I don't know. I was like, I I could be up till four or five in the morning. What? Like, I don't have these answers for you. I, what are you talking about? I I, I can't live like this. <laughs> You're like, we're done. I'm serious. I'm, I'm being suffocated That's here. exactly how I felt. I was like, stop trying to stifle me. I can't live like this. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I would feel like it needs... But part of me just wants to, like, shut the whole world out. I mean, I'm supposed to, like, go on, like, some Tinder date or something. I don't, I'm not even on Tinder, but I guess I am, actually. I, <laughs> I went on Every, it. Everyone's searching for you right yeah. now. They're like, let's verify this. Well, I went on it for, like, four or five days, and now I'm hidden. But I matched with, like, the eight, you know, attractive people to me, at least, on right. Tinder. Because it's like it was like being at the airport. Like Tinder is like mental. I can't believe it. There's like there's like Raya, which is like Illuminati Tinder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then there's like Tinder, which is like insane. Just like whatever. Tinder's um, too insane now. It's too insane. I also think dating dating is exhausting. Like you were saying, like it's the dating part sucks. But once you're in a relationship, it's better. Yeah, I'm supposed to meet somebody. He was like, "Do you want to meet for coffee at 10 a.m.?" I'm like, "10 a.m.? I'm probably be in bed by 4:30 in the morning. 10 a.m." Uh, I'm done. Like, <laughs> you're like, 
like, I'm never doing this again. I'm never doing this again because I, I mean, like, let's just do a phone call at least to see first. Let's hear what our voices sound like. But then again, I put myself out there on Insta stories so intensely that all people have to do is watch my stories and, you know, decide if I'm crazy or not or like or they can hear my voice, my my POV. Just kidding. Anyway. but So it's a very self-selecting group then that that is reaching out to you or I suppose so but then this has nothing to do with anything really but one weird thing that happened was I matched with somebody on Raya oh my god I'm hidden on both now okay but I matched with one guy and he seemed very smart I was barely attracted to him but I don't really care what people look like I just care about about their brains and if they're interesting and fascinating and whatever and uh and then he got my number and he never called me or texted me but he watches all my insta stories but why does it, why did he ask for your number? Yeah, That's I mean, weird. but then again, it's like I have no idea what. I mean, he could be married. He, for all I know, maybe he's like getting out of a thing, or I don't know what's going on. But I just think it's so funny because I'm like, I can see you watching my Insta stories. <laughs> What are you doing? We're not even, he's not even, doesn't even follow me on Instagram. Oh my God, that's I don't weird. follow him either, but I like, I see him. And I just think it's so weird. Anyway, but it's all, yeah, the dating stuff is exhausting. And then like, so part of me just wants to shut off and be like, God, I, I lost so much time to yeah. this search for love or partnership or whatever this, this goal of mine is, you know? I don't know if it's lost, if you've lost time though, because I think it's an experience, right? And there's like yeah. informs. It goes into the work. Yeah, it goes into the work. It inform. It's it's all useful. Yeah. I think, but but I do. I know what you mean, though. It feels like. Yeah. Like what? Like how many? How many like di- like coffee dates and like stuff do you have <sighs> to get through? And you're like, usually you know though really quickly. Yeah. And it, I don't know if this is a case for you, but I when I would go on dates, I just knew that. I didn't like them, like, within five minutes, you know? Yeah. Within, like, a few minutes, yeah. you know? And you're like, eh. Yeah. But then you still have to go through the whole date, and you have to, like, okay. Yeah. Because you have to be polite, so that because there's societal norms, and you can't just, like, Societal leave. norms? That's that's great. I'm going to mess the name of my next... <laughs> my next exactly. My short film. It's oh called Societal God. Norms. So it's about a girl who's oh forced to sit through, like, really yeah. long dates. I also just feel like the climate right now is, like, very, like... If somebody double message, messages me and they're like, hey, you didn't like that last thing, whether it's like, I'm not really on Tinder. I don't want to associate myself but whatever. I've been on for five or six or eight days, whatever. But uh, whether it's like on Instagram DM, Tinder, whatever, Raya, if I see like somebody like messages me and then gets slightly irritated or checks on me again. Yeah. Because of the climate we're in right now. Why do people do that? Yeah. I don't I'm like, I, I just go like, rapist. <laughs> yeah, I go, like, woman hater. <laughs> it's like, get away from me. It's just, you're like, this is just too aggressive. Like, so I just feel like part of me is like, why would I open myself up to like yeah, exactly. some man who's probably on the precipice of being accused of something like he did <laughs> four, four months ago or seven years ago or who knows what? I just feel like then they're like secret things on Facebook that somebody signed me up for like the secret. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to like out it at all because I fully think it's wonderful. But there's, like, this secret group on Facebook that talks about, like, um, where women come together and, like, post pictures or tell stories about, like, men who have assaulted them. Yeah. And I'm just, like, shocked by that. I mean, I'm, I'm, like, I, I try to keep up on it to be like, oh, my God, if I date, am I about to go on a date with one of these guys? Have I dated this guy? Do I know this per- Oh, God. Like, it's just terrifying. It makes me just want to, like, just hold. It is terrifying. Yeah, I want to hold up in my place. But then I also don't want to get to a certain point in my life where, like, you know, I didn't form a relationship with someone to find, you know, find something cozy that's like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's all this stuff to try to balance. I don't know. 
Have you read this short uh, story that was on the New Yorker called uh, Cat Person? (laughs) What are you saying? (laughs) I love cats. (laughs) No? What is this? Tell me. So Cat Person... (laughs) I think you should you should read it. It's about this. I feel like you're being hostile towards me right now. No, <laughs> no, no. It's titled Cat Person, but it's about a young woman who develops this relationship with someone. who It's mostly over, like, text. Oh, yeah. And then she eventually meets him, and it went viral because a lot of people sort of relate with this feeling that, you know, a lot – that this feeling that this young woman has who's telling the story <clears throat> that she – had built up this idea of who this person was, but then as she was sitting in his car as they were going back to his place, she realized, oh my god, this guy could be anybody. Oh my like, god, he could be an axe murderer. Like you know how like the total amount of time that she spent with him has been so little. Yeah, and she's going back to his house and she's like, oh my god, I don't know who this man is. I don't. Like, and then going to his place and you're like. Actually, I don't want to go through with this. I don't know. If, but then you're like, it's like too much into it. And you're like, is it weird now that I try to back out? Like, it's too. But it's not. It's terrifying in this very, uh, you know, terrifying and uncomfortable and very just. I thought it was very unsettling. But a lot of people were like, wow, I relate so hard. And I think it's just because we, like, as women, like, get put into so many situations where you're like, I'm very uncomfortable, and yet I have no way out of it. Because we're people pleasers. We're yeah, not... we just, we, like, try to make sense of every situation we're like, and we try to, like, squash these feelings of, like... Intuitive feelings. Yeah, like, oh, God, like, this is not good, or I, this person is not giving me a good vibe, or whatever it is. And, yeah, we're, like, trying to please and, like, trying to be polite, even when it could be dangerous. Yeah. Like... That's like majority of my dating experiences in my early to <laughs> oh, no. mid twenties. Oh no! Yeah. Oh my god! You should read it. It's it's gotten it's gotten a lot of well, a lot of people are sharing it now because they're like, see, this is how we're this is how women feel all the time. This is so much of our experience is like putting ourselves out there, and it's easier to do that now with these dating apps and yeah. sort of social media. But even then, you, like, meet someone that you may have, like, exchanged some text with or you've seen their stories on Instagram. I'm But terrified. do you really know them? No, you do not. They could be – it could be a total front, what they're posting. It could be yeah. – you know, and like those, gu- like those guys who, like, double message. Like, the first message might be sweet and then the second message is, like, very disturbing. And you're like, yeah. why are – like, how is it possible that this is the same person? Also, I've noticed, like, like if you turn off your app and don't pay attention to it – I have gotten some messages where it gets progressively. It's not yeah. just two messages. Yeah, it's it's like, like, hey, what's up? Love to go have coffee sometime. Then it's like, uh, yoo-hoo. <laughs> then it's like, oh, no good. Didn't work for you. Then it's like, who the fuck do you think you are? And then it's just like, and you're like, wow. Like, that's actually something you should do. You should, like, ignore and then just see if the person spirals. That's the whole st- That's like, they had, like, a whole conversation with themselves. Yes. Where they thought you were being a jerk when yeah. you were just like, I just wasn't near my phone or yeah. I wasn't on the app. Oh, my God. I mean, I think I've done that in relationships to, like, which, whatever, a long time ago, but the other phone was in their car or something. But uh, it actually just happened. That happened recently to me where it's, like, a thing ended and then, like, I just didn't – I needed space from the guy. And then he just – he just progressively texted. And I went, oh, my God. And I got, like – I was just – I was shaking. I was just like, why won't he just leave me alone if I'm not answering? Why, yeah. why text me six times over the course of, like, whatever? Get the hint. Like, back off. It's just so bizarre. It's also, like, now it's easier to do that because they can just text you. And before it was like, oh, you have to go see a person. And that's like... Oh, my God. And it's just easier to just 
throw these messages out or into the ether. Yeah. Yeah. And you think it's harmless, but it's, or they think it's harmless, but it's also like very unsettling when you read some of them. People are just children. People need to like have some self-control and be able to like internalize stuff and (laughs) deal with it and be okay and just go, okay, I respect those boundaries, whatever it is. And I'm not going to try to assume with, you know, I don't know. That's like me on Twitter trying not to get into a beef with people. You're like, Oh, "Oh, God. Yeah, like you see like Twitter, you know, exchanges and you're like, and then you just, it takes everything in your power not to subtweet and you're like, oh God, oh yeah, I've been trying not to subtweet. Yeah, I'd make sure I didn't even accidentally subtweet like because I just got out of a thing. So I didn't want him to think that I was subtweeting him. But then also, yeah, I will get in crazy arguments where I get so angry with like, with people on Twitter and then I like I go mental and then I like delete all of them which is kind of embarrassing so it's like <laughs> oh god and then I'm retracing my steps the other day on Instagram this is getting very um uh we'll wrap this up real soon I promise okay but uh on Instagram I had messaged this girl and she didn't write back but she saw my message which is fine that's yeah. fine I can take care of myself everything's fine but then I thought Maybe it was really late at night. Maybe it was two in the morning, three in the morning. I looked at who she was following and I searched my name because I thought, I wonder if she unfollowed me. I wonder if we're really still friends anymore or acquaintances or whatever we're not. I don't know. Whatever we are. And I I typed in my name and my name didn't come up. And I went, oh, my God. When did she unfollow me? I can't believe it. I feel so exposed. Yeah. So I immediately unfollowed her. I was furious. I was like, And then I looked at her page again and then it said follow back. So I accidentally typed in, I misspelled my name. She never unfollowed me. <laughs> but I got so immediately reactive that I, so now, and now I can't follow her back. Because she'll be she's like, got, she's going to get a notification. She'll get, well, I mean, even if she doesn't, yeah, she'll get a notification in her, you know, when she checks her, yeah, whatever. Oh my God, I was this so is, humiliated. This is like real life now, though. This People, is, yeah. I mean, I feel like when somebody unfollows me, it's like a punch in the stomach. I mean, yeah. Just, it's like they came up to you, punched you in the stomach, yeah. and then left. And you're like, don't you, you feel know? that way a little bit? Yeah. I feel like now when people unfollow each other, it's like they're trying to make a statement. It's like you could just like not leave it. Leave it. I know. If you're like unfollowing, you're trying to say that's something. a statement. But that's so embarrassing. You've got to like check who they follow to see if you've been unfollowed. So much stuff is happening. It's so bizarre. And it matters. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not even petty talking about this because this is real life. <laughs> I'm gonna make a movie about this. This is real. This sounds like a really big. Like this is like the plot. It's called unfollow. I think it probably already exists. It's like it's it's, it's actually like chronicles you <laughs> running to this girl's house to take her phone and to make sure that she doesn't see it. Yeah. Like you actually you actually destroy her phone and then she has to replace her phone and she never sees your notification. Don't you feel like this short film already exists? This is a short film or a feature. This is a short film. It's where, a short film. Yeah, and you and it's like late night. You you mess it up and then you have to go through all these trials and tribulations. Oh to my get, god! Get there. I'm watching the Aaron Sorkin masterclass and he's just breaking it down. He's like, I oh, forget. I can't remember what he said. I must not be. Rich. <laughs> What did he say? He goes, something about like, you know, you've got your thing you want to do and then conflict. I don't know where I'm going with this. Anyway, okay. (laughs) Let me just recap. What did we learn on today's episode? We learned ask people for money on Twitter. Yeah, do it. Be bold. Fuck Kickstarter and crowd fundraising things because it's just too boring to fill out all that junk. All right? (laughs) It's really annoying. Go to AFI, sneak into a class. (laughs) Yeah. Take all the students 
get their exciting youth excited youthful enthusiasm on your side. Um, shadow a person, shadow a director. Um, ask for help. Reach out. Don't be you know, be bold. Being on the blacklist is very cool. It's 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 helpful. It's helpful. Um, what else is there to know? Um, and you're about to blow the fuck up. Well, thank you. It's very exciting. Oh, and then also, I mean, because I know you know, like, give younger. You're so young already, but like, give younger you, like the little girl version of you, or some little girl who's like, I want to be you when I grow up. Oh my god, like you know, what do I need to know? Some useful advice. Because if, if you if you faced, oh god, I hope this doesn't sound too like a. If you faced like adversity and right. you know challenges and you've gotten past them or you're still facing them what are these little kernels of knowledge and wisdom that you've kind of like uh, become aware of that you could pass on to this young kid who wants to, what you have and wants to be you I think it, I think the first I mean I think the biggest thing would I would say would just be be relentless fail fail a lot check <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, self-generate, like just be your own, be your own generator, you know, like don't, don't look for other, like don't look to others to give you an opportunity that you can create for yourself and just pursue it relentlessly. What about being a woman in this business? Things you've noticed that are irritating that you can speak to? I mean, I've been pretty lucky that I've been given a lot of opportunity to do what I want to do, and I, partly because you self generate. Yeah, and I think if you self generate, you have a lot of leverage. Um, but I think one thing I have learned is like, instead of my first knee jerk reaction would always be to be fu- really furious when I feel like I'm being underestimated. But I think being calm and cool and in control and being a voice of reason. When other people are being unreasonable to you, it gains you so much respect because then they feel foolish. They feel foolish for underestimating you, for thinking that you're not capable of doing something, and they reevaluate. Whereas it used to be that I would jump to being furious or being like, seriously, and I still feel that way, you know, on the inside sometimes, but I think it's about how to sort of deal with it like in the moment externally is to just just like take a breath and like just like be the voice of reason and I think that when you're cool and calm and you're collected people respect that and I think they come away thinking wow like you know you know she's that was a very mature way you know there is like a maturity there and I think people in this business are all trying to mitigate their risk. You know, they're all just trying to figure out like, how do I not get fired? (laughs) And I think for creatives, it's like coming across as someone who is very responsible, reasonable. You can be a creative and like a crazy person in your process, but in your business, you need to be sort of someone who has, is professional and, you know, you take, you take a beat think about something before you say it. And I'm not saying I've gotten really good at it because I still have these moments where I like wish you could just say the unfiltered thing because you're like everyone should just experience life unfiltered, but 
there's like consequences to that. And I think in our in our business, it's not like I'm saying women don't speak your feelings. I think you should. I think you should absolutely speak your feelings. And I think, you know, there's a lot of space now to do that. But I also feel like, you know, being someone who can sort of take everything, take a lot, like take a lot of like pressure and expectations and then take it, you know, do, you know, deliver, you know, like professionally and you make your days and people respect you on set. That's, those are the things that you can carry with you everywhere and people, and then it'll stop being about you're a female director. It'll just be you're a director. And that's the hope is like, unfortunately right now, like we have to put female in front of director because it feels like there's not enough of us. But eventually, like, I really, I want, I hope that we get to the point where it's, it's not a necessary qualifier. Like, we can just leave it out and be like, this person's a director, and we treat them the same way as we would with any other director. Um, And I think part of it is just people recognizing that the work we do isn't any different. It's, you know, we have a perspective to share, and we're going to share it, whether they let us or not. And... Yeah, it's just a matter of time, I think. And I think it's a really good time now for people to make their own stuff, especially because it's not that expensive. So you can make your own short, you can make your own feature for really little money, and you can put it out into the world. And then your voice becomes some... Then you're not waiting for permission. You're just putting out there in the world that you want people to understand about you, as your perspective and how you, what you care about in storytelling. And... Yeah, it's just, I think those are, like, the way to make headway for female directors is to just self-generate. And, yeah, just be extremely, be prolific and outwork everybody. Like, like, I imagine, you know, when I'm putting together, like, a Bible or, like, a treatment, it's like, this has to be on par with, like, like, I imagine, like, you know, imaginary scenario where it's like, the directors I love and what their work would be like. And it's like, now I'm trying to, I'm aspiring for that. So I look to the people I admire and I'm like, I want to work at that level. How do I get there? I have to present work that is undeniable. And I think that's what we have to do, you know, um, you know, with each other too, as female directors, like pushing each other to make better work and, you know, putting it out there. Wow. That was a lot. That was <laughs> lovely. And uh, and I hope in 2018, you sit down with your mom and you make her watch your incredible work. Thank you. Maybe she'll visit you on set, be completely confused, irritate you, <laughs> and then just send her home. <laughs> um, I'll pay for the lift. <laughs> um, thank you. Thank you so much for being on my, my, my show. Thank you so much for having this me. This is a lovely episode. What a wonderful way to end the year. Oh, yeah. This is my last podcast recording of 2017, so I'm like, I'm thrilled that you're here. It was really, really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, you guys. (laughs) Now leaving Nerdist.com. 